This is the James Cancer-Free World Podcast. I'm Steve Wartenberg. Today's topic is skin cancer, and our guest is Natalie Spaccarelli, a dermatology oncology expert here at the James, who also runs the Pigmented Lesion Clinic. And skin cancer is the most common form of cancer. One in five Americans will develop some type of skin cancer by the age of 70. And I think there's some confusion on the difference between skin cancer and melanoma. And Natalie is going to fill us in on these differences. Some of the warning signs, the prevention techniques, the great research and treatment breakthroughs that have increased uh, the long-term survival rate for patients, especially in including immunotherapy, and to also fill us in on the James Multidisciplinary Melanoma Clinic. Welcome to the podcast, Natalie. Thanks for having me. And you brought a guest with you, didn't you? <laughs> I did. She is an unexpected guest here. Um, her name is Noemi. She's nine months old. She's my daughter. And unfortunately, our babysitter had to leave early, so I brought her with me. Well, thank you. It's, today's your day off, so I appreciate you coming in on yeah. your day off to, to fill us in on this important topic. And no I can tell everyone, Noemi is right by your foot, and you're rocking her on her chair. So <laughs> perhaps, I don't know if you can pick that up, but she's incredibly cute and well-behaved and seems very interested in what we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> so, so if anyone hears anything, that might be Noemi. There <laughs> it's you a go. baby, yes. So, Natalie, let's start out with, with, with a big question, an important question, sort of what is skin cancer and what is the different types and how does melanoma fit into the, the skin cancer equation? Sure, sure. So skin cancer um, is made up of several different types of skin cancers. Um, actually, the most prevalent type of skin cancer in the United States is something called basal cell carcinoma. The second most common type is squamous cell carcinoma. And those make up non-melanoma skin cancers, okay? And that makes up the vast majority of skin cancers that dermatologists diagnose and treat. Um, melanoma is probably the most well-publicized type of skin cancer, mostly because melanoma can behave much more aggressively than those other types can. Namely, it can metastasize to other parts of the body. And so we have to be very, very careful about detecting and then treating melanoma. So, and I, I did a little research, and according to the American Cancer Society, uh, literally mil a couple million people will be detected with skin cancer, yeah. three or four million. And uh, they estimated 96,000 will be diagnosed this year with, with melanoma, and about 7,000 people will die from melanoma. So again, look, you just said that uh, screening and detection is key. So give us some of the, the first things. Let's talk about um, preventing it. How can people you know, protect themselves and avoid these things. Sure. So so like the other types of non-melanoma skin cancer I spoke about, melanoma mostly we think has to do with sun exposure. Now there's some exceptions to that rule. Some people are genetically predisposed to get melanoma and that has nothing to do with their sun exposure. But the vast majority of people, you know, when we talk to them about preventing melanoma, we talk about protecting themselves from the sun. And so we discourage everyone from going to tanning beds. There's yeah. No safe tanning bed. Right. Okay. Um, and then we tell people to practice vigilance on protection. So staying out of the sun during peak hours. Some people define that as 10 o'clock to 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Some people say 10 o'clock to 4 o'clock in, in the afternoon. But we know that's not always realistic. And so we advise uh, good use of sunscreen, at least SPF 30, applying it every two hours, using an, a type of sunscreen that's called broad spectrum that protects you against UVA and UVA. 
UVB and using water-resistant sunscreen. Um, so being really good about using sunscreen on a regular basis and reapplying it when you need to, wearing a hat. There's also sun-protective clothing that breathes actually surprisingly well um, that can provide additional protection as well. So that's where our, our focuses in prevention lie. Now, you mentioned water-resistant um, uh, sunblock. If you, so that means if you go in the water back and forth, you're at a pool, you don't have to reapply until the two hours? Or? So that that's a great question. Actually, some, some water-resistant sunblocks require you reapply every hour or so. So you got to be a little bit more um, attentive when you're using water-resistant sunscreens and you're going in and out of the water. So sometimes that requires even more frequent application. So err on the, the side of caution. Err on the side of caution, for and, sure. And, and, and since I'm looking at, at Noemi right here, be extra super careful with young children and babies absolutely absolutely and it's and there's different requirements for babies in terms of what types of sunscreen they are even allowed to use um so you have to look at the labels as well to see if it's appropriate for a child under a certain age oh see so there are certain ones designed just for for babies and toddlers exactly okay yeah and they have do they have a, a higher number uh no they're mostly physical blockers so usually they they rub in a little less well um they have and have something called zinc oxide in them. Um, so they're just made of different types of, of ingredients. And, yeah. You know, this new protective clothing, I'm starting to see more and more because mm-hmm. it can be long sleeve, but mm-hmm. cool even mm-hmm. in the summer. And I know because a lot of around here, a lot of people ride bikes in the summer for right. Pelotonia. You can get those like sleeves that you put on. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, yeah. They can be pretty comfortable. And some of um, my patients who are golfers, you know, find a good breathable long sleeve shirt that'll kind of help with the forearm protection. Okay. Um, Is there anything else? Like I know some types of cancers can be um, activated by the food you eat or chemicals. Is there any of that with with the types of skin cancer? Yeah, we don't generally tell people that they need to alter their diet at all um, to adjust their risk for for the most common types of skin cancer. But eat a healthy diet. (laughs) Always eat a healthy diet, yes. But but what what you eat doesn't impact skin cancer. No. Like like it can colon cancer or or even heart disease. We don't think so. We don't okay. think so. We certainly don't alter our rec- basic recommendations. And, or based how on about that. even smoking? Yeah. So in general, we discourage people from smoking. It it, it can increase uh, aging's effects on your skin um, and your ability to heal. Actually, it can affect your skin's ability to heal. Um, so we strongly discourage people from smoking for hundreds of reasons. Right. For many reasons, including many kinds of cancer and including aging of your skin and healing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So great. So that's great advice on how to protect yourself. So and nevertheless, as we we've seen, like, you know, many, many people are going to get skin cancer, the three kinds. What do you look for? Because everyone's body has little moles and abnormalities. Yeah. How do you tell the difference? Yeah. What do you look for? So, you know, there are no rules that work 100% of the time. So most of what I'm going to say is sort of um, based on kind of the most common behaviors of skin cancers. So in general, in adulthood, new or changing spots on your skin should be of concern or something to bring to a dermatologist's attention. Now, some primary care doctors are very well versed in knowing common types of skin lesions and can say, oh, no, that's that's not a skin cancer. You don't need to go see a dermatologist. But my basic recommendation is to always seek medical care when you notice a new or changing skin lesion, because some melanomas can arise from old 
previously benign moles. So oh, okay. if things are changing, if they're growing, if they're getting lots of different colors, if they're bleeding, if they're itching, or they're just brand new, that's something to bring to your medical provider's attention. So th- that makes me think of your pigmented lesion clinic, which is where you're, which you is all about is moles, right? Yeah, so most of the people in my pigmented lesions clinic have a history of melanoma, and most of what I do is just skin surveillance exams on them, depending on the risk of their melanoma. So if they had a very high-risk lesion, then I might see them every three months. Oh, oh, there she is. Okay. If they had a more lower risk region, lesion, I might only need to see them once a year. Oh, so people who've who've already been diagnosed initially and not going to are, are cured and doing well, they're at a higher risk for it to come back. So they gotta they've got to be screened more carefully and more frequently. Yeah, we we have to keep an eye on the rest of the skin because they're at higher risk for new separate melanomas as well. Are there any specific parts of the body that seem more prone to it? I mean, obviously parts that see the sun more your neck your arms or you you tell me your face like what are the areas that seem to be most common yeah so it just depends on the person we have some rules where we think that um, or some studies that showed that they might melanomas on the legs are more common in women melanomas um, you know on the torso are more common in men but that's it's not a great rule to go by I don't want anybody to say oh I have this spot on my torso but I'm a woman so I shouldn't worry about it that's so they can really appear anywhere. They can be on sun-exposed skin and non-sun-exposed skin. It can occur on your nails. It can occur on your genitalia. It can occur on your mucous membranes in your mouth. So it can occur a lot of different places. I heard it could occur in your eye. Yes, it can occur in your eye. And it, those are difficult to detect um, without symptoms because we don't routinely recommend that people ha- have their eyes looked at. How does you that know? happen? It, it, the eyes the mm. same way from the UV from the sun? can mm-hmm. From not wearing sunglasses or from just... Yeah, we think so. But then again, there are some people who are just genetically predisposed to get melanoma. And there are actually melanocytes in the retina, so like the back part of your eye, and those can form the melanoma. So what exactly should you look for? You you mentioned uh, moles or spots that weren't there, but aren't Mm -hmm. there like different like I've read about like if there's a ring around it or different colors, like how do you... You yeah. Know, what are some of those warning signs, spots, or, or yeah. signatures of, of, of a mole or, or spot that could be skin cancer? Yeah. So, like I said before, we don't, nothing is a hard and fast rule. There are always exceptions, right. but we generally advise the ABCDEs of melanoma in terms of surveillance, and we find that this can catch a lot of melanomas. And so, what, what does that mean? A is uh, asymmetry. So, like, you can't fold it in half, it's, it's, it's not a weird you know, shape. Equal, yes, an odd shape. B is borders, so uh, some odd borders, um, like an outline of the melanoma. Uh, C is color variety, so multiple different colors. Um, you know, there's blue, or not blue, there's um, blue when you actually look on dermoscopy, but blue is kind of hard to see on the skin. Um, but multiple different colors, black, brown, um, you know, maybe a little pink. Within the same mole. Within the same mole, yeah. And just kind of like a changing sort of color pattern throughout the lesion. Um, D is diameter. So we think diameter greater than the size of a pencil eraser should be a bit more concerning. And E is probably one of the most important, and that's evolution. And like I mentioned, changing. So we find that a lot of melanomas, they're either fast growing or their shape is changing. Something's something's behaving oddly about this particular lesion. So that's something to watch out for closely. Now, you mentioned that individuals should, should surveil themselves and screen themselves. But 
your back. You can't see your back, the back mm-hmm. of your legs, the back of your back, the back of your neck. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you do? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, if you're, I mean, if you have a spouse or partner, yeah. but, but that's that's usually the most useful. If you can have somebody help you look at parts of your body that you can't see yourself, you can use mirrors. Um, so, if you have a large mirror in your bathroom, and you can use another handheld mirror to see the back. Um, but yeah, you, getting somebody to help you out looking in those areas can be really helpful. Okay. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, Noemi might need a little more formula. (laughs) And we'll be back. And we're going to talk about some of the treatment options and including immunotherapy, which we've talked about before in this podcast, but has great applications for melanoma. So we'll be right back. A revolution in lung cancer treatment is happening at the James. We're proving lung cancer isn't solely defined by location and stage, but rather the individual molecules and genes that drive it. Simply put, there is no routine lung cancer. That's why our world-renowned specialists put their expertise towards treating one particular lung cancer, yours. At The James, we go beyond the routine to prevent, detect, treat, and cure your lung cancer. To learn more, call 1-800-293-5066. We're back with Natalie Spaccarelli, and we're talking about skin cancer. And we've covered a lot of the basics, prevention, screenings, what to look for, the differences between... Uh, melanoma and basal and, and squamous cell cancer. But now let's talk a little bit about treatments when, when patients come in, when they're diagnosed and hopefully in the early stages. What do you do? Yeah. How do you treat the different types of skin cancer? Yeah, so the vast majority of non-melanoma skin cancers like basal cell and squamous cell carcinomas are treated with simple excisions. So going back to the area of the original spot and removing that and some skin around it and then closing the So you the have area. a safe border. Exactly, okay. exactly, with margins. Um, and some cases of advanced non-melanoma skin cancer, you might require systemic therapy and perhaps a sentinel lymph node biopsy, but that's very rare. Um, and then with melanoma, our treatment of that melanoma would depend on its stage, so how thick it is. Um, has it spread to other parts of the body? Most early-stage melanomas are treated with conventional excisions as well, so just removing the area and then some surrounding tissue around the original spot. When you um, get it in the fairly early stages. Right, right. Okay. But if it's more advanced, you may need a sentinel lymph node biopsy, and that's where uh, having a great surgical oncologist to talk to about whether or not you need a sentinel lymph node biopsy is really important um, because the outcome of that sentinel lymph node biopsy, whether or not it's positive, um, could influence what therapies you're eligible for. Oh, that's perfect, because that leads us into the the James Multidisciplinary Melanoma Clinic, which is kind of what you're talking about. Yes, yes. Um, It's a great clinic. Um, Most of us work over at Martha Morehouse. Um, There are surgical oncologists and then hematologist oncologists uh, that all sort of uh, can bounce ideas off each other and work on the same cases together. So it's sort of the same concept as the the Spielman Breast uh, Center, where you have all the specialists you need in one place, and so the patients can see everyone they need and get all the diagnoses, treatments, everything, support, yeah. everything. Yeah, yeah, and kind of on the specialist side, we can easily talk to each other. So that's you know something patients sometimes don't see is that behind the scenes, we often do talk to each, about, each other about what should the next steps be for particular patients. No, I've read that the, the rate of, of skin cancer the diagnosis is actually going up. Yeah, we think the incidence is increasing, and we think that's mostly actually due to enhanced um, detection of of the skin cancers. Oh, so it's better screening. Doctors are more aware. People are more educated. We think so, yeah. So it's not necessarily 
the the sun is harsher or people well you know we also we have concerns about yeah. you know global warming and yeah. whatnot um, but this has kind of been a trend for a while um, and so we do think it's 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 at least somewhat due to enhanced detection so again it, it, screening self uh, observation and protection are, are yeah. keys yeah. Is there anything else like in the future as you look ahead ways that are in terms of treatment and or even screening just ways to help even more people? Yeah, I mean, I think on the dermatology side, um, the way that physicians interact with artificial intelligence um, is going to be really I'm hoping helpful for our patients in terms of how we can enhance our detection of lesions. Um, You know, dermatologists in an ideal world, we'd be able to look at every spot and say whether or not it's melanoma. But we've all had experiences where things looked benign on exam and they turned out to be melanoma. So how can we get better as a field using either artificial intelligence we have something called confocal microscopy that hasn't been, you know, universally implemented. But, you know, should we do that? Can we do that? Is it realistic? What, what, Those- is, what is that? So it's a it's an interesting technique where you can actually look kind of deeper in the skin in your visit without doing a biopsy um, to look for uh, certain structures that might sway you towards or away from doing a biopsy. You just have a better microscope or lights that yeah, penetrate? Yeah, or- you can think of it that way, yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's 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 pretty pretty fascinating. Um, you know, there are some issues with implementation and cost right. um, that need to be worked out, and how exactly uh, we get people to use this in the right way. It takes a lot of training. Um, so that's kind of you know an interesting part of our field right now. When you say artificial intelligence, I'm not quite sure what you mean. Yeah, I mean, for a long time, we've been using photography to kind of help us in monitoring people's skin. Um, But that's dependent on my eyes looking for subtle changes. Uh, Um, And I like to think I'm really good at that. um, But I know that I'm not perfect at that. So how might artificial intelligence help us sort of compare current state to previous state? Um, I think and I'm really hopeful that that's something we can use sort of in concert with our visits um, to get even better at detecting. So the algorithms that are being developed can yeah. spot changes that will lead you to better diagnose yes. early stage skin cancer. Yes, yes. Well, I mean, there's cool. lots of different different types of um, developments out there and a lot of things you don't know the full details of because they haven't been totally approved yet and they're not commercially available. Um, but that's, that's kind of the sense that we've been getting from some of the bigger companies is that's really what they're kind of trying to focus some of their energy on. Natalie, you're fairly new here. What's it been like to work at one of the world's largest and best comprehensive cancer centers and cancer hospitals? It's great. I love um, being able to you know, pick the brains of oncologists and surgical oncologists um, and work with wonderful dermatologists and work at a place that really seems geared at not only patient care and having a really nice experience as a patient, but kind of furthering the field in terms of research. And you always want to be at a place where you feel like there's room to grow. And I feel like there's a lot of room at the James because they support you a lot in terms of research and and, uh, academic pursuits. Great. Well, thank you for sharing all this incredible, useful information that people can use on an everyday basis and doing it under some difficult and (laughs) a little uh, difficult circumstances. But you're very good at uh, multitasking, as moms and doctors seem to be. So thank you and uh, Noemi for for coming and, and sharing all this great information. No problem. Thank you for having us and being flexible. Oh, our pleasure. <laughs> this podcast is brought to you by the Ohio State University Comprehensive Cancer Center, Arthur G. James Cancer Hospital, and Richard J. Solov Research Institute. 
For more information, check out our website, cancer.osu.edu.